Well, let me make a public confession that goes out over the whole internet. I used to watch big time wrestling when I was a kid. Well, it wasn't the entertainment empire that it is today, but boy, did you have some outlandish characters. There was Bobo Brazil and the Sheik and Big Cat Ernie Ladd and Dick the Bruiser and Haystacks Calhoun and Flying Fred Curry. You know, Hulk Hogan owes these guys a great debt of gratitude for paving the way to a multi-million dollar business. Now there's WWE Raw, and it includes women's wrestlers and more sophisticated storylines than back in the 60s and in the 70s. I even remember my dad taking me to the downtown Akron Armory to see big-time wrestling. Now, that's dedicated fatherhood. Thanks, Dad. You know, people can watch a show like Big Time Wrestling or WWE, and they will say something like, how can you watch that sport? You know that it's fake, right? Why do people watch wrestling when they know that it's fake? Well, of course, it's fake. Some of the things that they do in the ring, if they actually did it to somebody else, they would kill them. But there's more to it than that. There is the entertainment side of this, and it contains all kinds of storylines. It contains action and drama and humor and infidelity and love stories and betrayal and facing tough obstacles and pain and joy and victory. You know what? That's a lot like the Bible. In fact, in the book of Genesis, we might say that the book of Genesis is full of big-time wrestlers. You have Abraham, and you have Isaac, and today we come to Jacob. So in this series, Far From the Shallow, uh, we are winding down, and we're going to finish this series next Sunday morning when we talk about Joseph. But if you remember all the characters from Adam and Eve uh, to Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael and uh, Sarah and Hagar and all these individuals, all these elements have kind of a big-time wrestling angle to it. And in particular, Jacob is a wandering wrestler. And in this section of Scripture that we're looking at today, he has three big-time matches. And I want to talk about those, and then I want to talk, as I close, about us too being this uh, wanderer, this wrestler, as we go through this life. So when we look at the life of Is uh, Jacob, he becomes Israel, as you heard in the passage of Scripture that I just read. And in many respects, Israel as an entire people group could be characterized as wandering wrestlers. And so this part of Genesis is very important for the type of history that is laid out before this newly formed nation that comes from the Abrahamic covenant. So let's look for a few moments at the life of Jacob, the wandering wrestler. Now, this part of Genesis begins not with the birth of one son, but of two. And so Isaac has two boys. Their names are Esau and Jacob. And in chapter 25, verses 19 through 26, you're given a little bit of backdrop 
to the type of conflict or the wrestling match that's going on even in the womb. Listen to chapter 25, beginning in verse 19. It says, this is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, and uh, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on the behalf of his wife because she was barren. See, this theme is repeating itself from Sarah. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. Now listen, the babies jostled each other within her, and she says, why is this happening to me? How many of you women have said that during pregnancy? Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. Sounds a little bit scary. She named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. And then it says, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So here we're given the backdrop. Twin boys, Esau comes out first, Jacob comes out second. But the text goes on to talk about how Jacob is holding on. That's the first theme in this section that will be repeat, repeated later when Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob's descendants will become Israel. Esau's descendants will become Edom. And what we are told here is that from the very start, there is this conflict, this wrestling match that is going on. It continues. So what we're told in the next verse, verse 27, the boys grew up. So it skips all past their childhood years. The boys grow up. Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. And Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, and Rebekah loved Jacob. So you see kind of dysfunction is already starting to take place because each parent has their favorite twin. Now, keep this in the back of your mind. So, in the ancient patriarchal setup, who is the one that is to get the inheritance? Who is the one that is going to be blessed as the firstborn? Well, in this case, it's Esau who comes out a few minutes before Jacob does. And so, what we're finding is this whole backdrop of the birthright is important to what happens next. And Jacob is an individual that his name means deceiver, or he, someone that is cunning, and that characterizes him really his whole life. Not much changes with him, but the first time we see it is in this sibling rivalry between Esau and Jacob that begins in verse 27. So the boys grow up, and one time when Jacob was cooking some stew, so Jacob is the chef of the two, uh, Esau's the hunter, Esau comes in from a hard day of hunting game, and he's famished. And he says to Jacob, 
Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that is why he is called Edom. He wants red stew. He has red hair. Edom means red. There's all kinds of word plays that are going on here. But Jacob replies, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. That's an exaggeration. What good is my birthright to me? He was thinking more about his stomach than, about, than his destiny. And so Jacob makes him swear, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. So Esau despised his birthright. So it's set up that Esau didn't look far down the line, but Jacob did. Esau was only concerned about his stomach. Jacob is concerned about his destiny. And so what we find taking place here is now Isaac is getting old. His eyesight is going. And he knows it's time for him to pronounce his blessing upon Esau, the firstborn. And so you jump over a few things and you see in chapter 27 that here the blessing is going to go actually to the younger son. And that's not the way it's supposed to work, but Jacob is going to connive with his mother to get Isaac's blessing. Now, an important note here is God seems throughout the whole book of Genesis to prefer the younger to the older. And you see that in the Cain and Abel story. You see that in the Isaac and Ishmael story. And even later in the Joseph story, you find that the younger Joseph is preferred over the older brothers. So there's a theme that is going on here. But Esau is an individual that he's only concerned about the now, not the next. And so think about Esau despising his birthright for a bowl of stew. So when Rebecca hears Isaac say, it's time for me to pronounce my blessing, she goes into high gear. And what she does is develop a ruse whereby Jacob can get the blessing over Esau. Now, at this point, Isaac is pretty much blind and apparently is a little bit senile as well. And what we find taking place is he has no ability to distinguish between his two sons. But to assure the fact that he is uh, confused, what Rebecca does is she then says, after hearing this, she says, I want you to dress up, Jacob, like Esau. Then I want you to take this dish that I have made into your father Isaac and ask him to pronounce the blessing. So what's going on here is both mom and younger son are conniving and deceiving Isaac the father to get the blessing. And in chapter 27, it's a long passage of scripture, uh, and, but as you read through it, and I encourage you to do so, Isaac knows something is up. But when he feels the hairy arms of Jacob, because mom made him feel hairy, and when Jacob disguises his voice, whatever that's like, Isaac is fooled, and so he pronounces this blessing upon him. And he says to him, The smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. 
May God give you heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. You'll find that in chapter 27, beginning in verse 27. And it goes on. Here's the most important part. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and may those who bless you be blessed. That's quite a blessing, isn't it? And it's a forecast, really, of what Isaac is hoping for, he thinks, Esau, but it's actually Jacob. So Esau comes in from the field, and now Esau wants the blessing, and Isaac's eyes symbolically open up, and he realizes that he has been manipulated. And Jacob, who has lied to his father, secures the blessing of the firstborn, and he outmanipulates his oafish brother, who was only concerned about the stew in the first place. So like an episode of big-time wrestling, Esau comes back in after this little ruse, not suspecting a thing. And when he finds out, he's livid, and he insists on Isaac giving him a blessing too. But if you read at the end of chapter 27, the blessing is not near as uh, generous as that given to Jacob. In fact, it says here in verse 38, Esau said to his father, you have only one blessing, my father. Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud, and his uh, father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Wow, that's quite a pronouncement, isn't it? Jacob's always going to rule over you. Eventually, you'll break uh, free from him. So the first wrestling match is between Esau and Jacob, and what we find taking place is in the midst of that wrestling match, uh, Rebecca comes kind of like in the wrestling match with a chair and kind of hits it over Isaac's head, and he doesn't know the difference. Okay, now let's fast forward for a moment. And when you come now to chapter 28, Jacob realizes that Esau is spitting mad. And he realizes he needs to flee. So Rebekah says to him, go to your uncle Laban's house. And that in verse 41 says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Esau is out to murder his brother, and Jacob flees. And as he is heading toward Uncle Laban's house, he has an encounter. And this encounter comes after he leaves Beersheba. This is in verse 10. And what we find is he sets out for Haran. Of course, use the maps at the back of your Bible. You'll be able to kind of follow the geography of this. But it says, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And what we find is in this moment, 
this vision that he has, God is going to reiterate to him all over again the Abrahamic covenant. So this special vision, you would think, would have been withdrawn from Jacob. He's cunning. He's deceitful. He's outwitted his brother, but God still pronounces this promise upon him. He tells him, there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying, and your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Sound familiar? That's the Abrahamic covenant all over again. And you will spread out to the east and the west and the north and the south, and all people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I am with you and will watch over you, and wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So here we find a reiteration of the Abrahamic covenant, and apparently one of the purposes of this dream is to emphasize that God has chosen Jacob over Esau as well, and in spite of his deceitfulness, he is going to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's wrestling match number one between the siblings. Wrestling match number two comes about when he finally arrives at Uncle Laban's. And when he arrives at Uncle Laban's here, he's on this journey, and on his journey, he will come to a place, and where is he going to come to? Here's that well theme that we talked about last week. Isaac, there were several wells that were important to his story. A well is important in this story as well. And he stops, and what we find is he is smitten with a woman by the name of Rachel. And when he gets to Uncle Laban's house, it is there that he begins to negotiate with Uncle Laban. Jacob meets this future wife, Rachel, and he wants to marry her. And Uncle Laban says, well, I will give, you, give her to you in marriage if you will work for me for seven years. Now, what, I mean, what are seven years like compared to getting married to your cousin, right? I mean, my goodness gracious, it's crazy, but he has this all-out love for Rachel, and the text tells us that he served Laban for seven years. This is down in verse 20 of chapter 29. So Jacob served seven years to get, get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. So now the seven years are done, and he says to Uncle Laban, give me my wife, my time is completed, I want to lie with her. I want to do what newlyweds do. And so night comes, and into the tent comes a woman, and Jacob thinks it's Rachel. But Laban has an older daughter by the name of Leah. And Leah is an individual that uh, is not as attractive as Rachel. She is described as having weak eyes. I don't know what that means, but something about her is not as attractive as Rachel, who is beautiful in form, the text says. Here's the problem. Leah was the older of the two. And so it's customary for Leah to get married first before Rachel. So what does Laban do? He switches the women, and he sends Leah into the tent. I don't know if Jacob is drunk, 
or if the light is low, or what it is, but he does not know that it is Leah rather than Rachel, and so he consummates the marriage, and when morning comes, surprise, 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 it's not who he thought it was. And so now he goes back to Laban, and he says, what have you done? I worked for you seven years to get Rachel, and you have given me Leah. The trickster has been tricked. The one who is a deceiver has been deceived. And notice it's in the dark. It seems as though everything that begins to shape and form Jacob happens at night. It's in the dark. And here he will work for another seven years so that he can get Rachel. And so that's what he does. Another seven years before he can marry the one that he deeply loves. So at the end of 14 years, Jacob said, let's leave. I've had enough of my father-in-law, Laban. And he's about to leave. And Laban then goes to him and says, what you are doing and because of your relationship to Abraham has brought great blessing to me. In other words, I'm getting rich. Please stay. Don't go. And so they make an agreement that they will split the flock. Uh, those that are solid color will go to Laban, and those that are speckled will go to Jacob. So fast forward here. Both are getting rich, and what we find is that Jacob finally says, it's time for us to leave. So he up and leaves, and Laban chases after him and catches up to him. And what we find is he explains that it is because his daughter has stole the household idols. Now, this wrestling match between Laban and Jacob is the second big-time wrestling match in the text but it's not the last one. So finally, we come to the point where now Jacob is fearful as he heads back home because he doesn't know what Esau is going to do once he gets there. So he chooses some gifts to send ahead of the caravan that is heading back home. He sends it ahead to Esau. And as he does so, he decides to send his family on ahead of him, and he stays behind. And in chapter 32, he has another uh, defining moment in his life. This time, the night falls, and this is in chapter 32, verse 22. It says here, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, and after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, this is a mysterious passage of Scripture. Jacob is heading home, but he doesn't know if it's going to be a reunion or if it's going to be a war. And he's trying to safeguard his family. So he sends these gifts ahead. And in this random episode of Genesis, there's this mysterious man that shows up and wrestles with Jacob all night long. So in the dark, they're wrestling, and one cannot prevail over the other. Now, it's interesting what happens is finally, 
there, this man, whoever it is, and many think that it is the Lord, it is a um, pre-incarnation appearance, maybe even of Jesus himself, that wrestles with Jacob. It says here, he touches Jacob's hip. Now that means he whacks it out of shape, basically cripples him, and then the man says, you know, wants him to let go of him, but Jacob says, let me go for it's day. I mean, uh, the man says, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replies, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob continues to hold on. And now the man says, what's your name? Jacob, which means deceiver. He says, no, no longer. Your name is going to be Israel, which means one who wrestles with God and prevails. So it is there that Jacob, his injured hip, worships God. But we are told he will continue in his wandering through this world to have a limp. So it doesn't appear to be a normal fight. The cards seem to be stacked in this man's favor. He's stronger. But Jacob holds on, and Jacob perseveres. Now, how do we bring these three wrestling matches into focus for us here today? It seems to me that Jacob wrestled with God and became Israel because of his tenacity, because of his pers persistence and determination. He's not a perfect man. In fact, what's interesting to me is even though his name is changed to one who wrestles with God, He's still referred to throughout the remainder of the Old Testament as Jacob. So when the title of this God comes into various passages of Scripture, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Just an interesting observation. So he never changes completely is what I'm trying to say. And that seems to be the characteristic of those who are wandering wrestlers. We make progress, but we are never fully transformed. We are never fully changed. And this will become descriptive of who will become Israel as a nation. They are God's chosen. They are the ones that the Abrahamic promises have been given to, but they have their problems. And the people of God are not those who have God all figured out. There's a lot of mystery here. And in this passage here in chapter 32, I think it's telling us that our entire life, there's an element of wandering and there's an element of wrestling that follows us until our dying day. Religion tends to think they can figure God out. Religion tends to think that they have all the T's crossed and the I's dotted. However, this type of passage reminds us that the people of God are not those who have God all figured out or have ultimately learned how to use God to their favor. It seems the people of God are simply individuals and collective communities who continue to wrestle with God and hold on. I don't know if that makes you uncomfortable, but that's what the text seems to be saying. We are not people that have God in a box. No, when we meet people that have God all figured out, they have quit wandering and they have quit wrestling. 
They have settled. Everybody eventually has a day when their perception of God begins to break. Their understanding of God is shattered. Everybody's day eventually comes when they are given a new vision. And are they going to step into it? Are they going to hold on and wrestle with it? Jacob rolled and tumbled with God all night long. He didn't know who was wrestling with him then. But what I do know is in wrestling and in hanging on, he found his true self, not his perfect self. And I think that's our story as well. We find our new self, a new vision for who we are. And that helps us ahead of the next chapter that we enter. On one level, Jacob doesn't change a whole lot. And it's important to see that when he does change, it always happens at night. And it's also important to understand that he has this unrelenting desire to be blessed. In the beginning, I think it was all about power and money. But when he encounters God in the night, he understands there's a bigger blessing. And it's the blessing of understanding that God is journeying with us through this life and he will continue to protect us and watch over us. In some ways, Jacob wants to assert control over God, but God won't allow that to happen. And God won't allow that to happen in our walk with him either. Jacob learns the hard way, as we all do, and he will now walk with a limp. And what God is going to use in Jacob's life is blessing and grace and promise. And basically, God assures him he will never leave Jacob. God even uses pain to mold him and to shape him. When we wander through life, God meets us in dreams and in determination. But are you willing to wrestle with God? Are you willing to walk with a limp after the encounter? And are you willing to let God change your name and your destination? You too are a wrestler. You too are a wanderer. So am I. But as we make this journey together, there will be times, defining moments in our life, when God will give us a new vision of who he is and the assurance that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So as we close our service today, there's a closing thought and a benediction that I want to give to you. Here's the thought. Redemption and light will always find us in the dark, the wandering path, because God is light. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, and his faithfulness doesn't depend on our faithfulness. So may you continue to wrestle with God until the light of day, and may you continue to walk even if it's with a limp, and may you continue to live the exchange of your identity from one who is simply a wanderer to an individual who's a wrestler to an individual that finds wonder, not scary, but opening up new horizons. May you continue to hang on to God even when it hurts because the people of God are those who wrestle with God until the dawn breaks. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Hope you join us live in person next Sunday morning. If you don't, 
You'll catch us online a little bit later next Sunday. Have a great week.